Welcome back to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast after another one-year hiatus. I'm your host, Dr. James, along with your other host, Dr. Dante. And we're glad to be back. We have some news for all y'all. Now... We've been busy. We've been busy. We've been busy um, with our kids growing and our families getting older and uh, responsibilities at work changing and and, uh, mutating, if you will, as we've been growing and uh, maturing. That's almost a pandemic reference. (laughs) Yes, we've been spreading. Um, Jesus. (laughs) Well, like a, like a good butter, we spread thin and uh, make everything tasty. <laughs> you know, on video now, right? Uh, we are on video. We are on video. There you go. We have come up with some ideas that we'd like to um, work with. We are going to introduce a new show. The name is in the works. We will introduce that at a later date, but. This marks a transition for us from the Rolling Bones podcast to a, a newer format. We are almost going in a Dan Carlin a hardcore history for any of you who are familiar with that podcast or, or maybe a Peter Atia uh, type of podcast where our episodes will be longer, more in-depth and traditionally or or historically speaking our podcast has been about osteopathic topics in a more functional clinical setting where we we talked about how osteopathic medicine and of course OMT benefits the the public and our patients but we wanted to go into more detail uh regarding medical history and philosophy, not just from an osteopathic perspective, from, but from a broader perspective, to, in reality, what, what we want to do is we want to talk about modern medicine and what are its strengths, what are its flaws, what are different ideas being presented, both in the osteopathic setting and a broader setting. Uh, and part it's a of this conversation. is... conversation, yeah, than yeah, what we used to do, like... The old it's show be, as. Yeah, it's going to be wider ranging. There you go. <laughs> there will you can still do that be, now because I can point at you. <laughs> yeah, and, and there will still be Disney references, of course, and references to other maybe non-related material. Um, but uh, uh, I'll still find uh, every excuse possible to mention the training. <laughs> As well, we sh- you should because that is that is who we are. Um, it actually fits so in the broader I, picture in, in this context. You know what I mean? It, it really does. With the development of the metabolic clinic, that involves both lifestyle changes regarding diet. It also involves strength training, resistance training, becoming uh, harder, stronger, faster, in order to live longer, better, and more completely. And so with that introduction, welcome back. We're excited to be talking again. And 
you are familiar with our history of bringing in some interesting um, guests. We have some guests on tap, not for today, but for some future episodes that I think you will find them to be engaging. And we hope to bring other guests as well to add a vibrancy to our conversations. But to go to the future, we still need to go to the past. And what we're trying to do is understand the development of the current, the modern, and I say quote unquote healthcare system, how it got to where it is today. Because to me, the term healthcare system is a bit of a misnomer in many ways. Quite often we are still stuck in the pattern of disease care or sickness care, but how do we truly care for our health? And understanding where we came from will help us understand where we are and I hope help us define, well, not define, but color our conversation for moving forward uh, into a, a, a more modern system. And, and perhaps, perhaps we can work on solutions for the problems that we face today. I want to say part of how this idea, so you, you can sense the bridging between this show and the next show. I'm talking to both you, uh, Dr. James, as well as the, you know, the, the listener who would be tuning in. But what happened with us was one, we were busy as heck, just to be perfectly honest, as, as you mentioned, but part of why we slowed down so much with the show was we the point of the show wasn't to just spin the wheels and generate content for the content sake. We were trying to push the ideas that we were trying to develop on, on the actual Rolling Bone show. And as we started pushing the ideas farther and farther, there was always this question in the back of our heads, like, does this fit in the format? Does it fit in the format? And there was this question of, if it doesn't fit in the format, do we try to do the artistic thing and, you know, use the pressure of the format to, force us to creatively engage with the, with the ideas? Or do we go in the other direction and go, perhaps we've outgrown the old format? Um, and the question that started all this was, what does it mean to be an osteopath or to be an osteopathic physician? Because those are different terms, actually, right? Meaningfully uh, different. What is right, because turns out outside of the United States, osteopathy is the term, and it's deliberately that term. Whereas in this country, it's osteopathic medicine. But even that question has history. And in trying to explore what that means, right? Osteopathy and osteopathic medicine, there was so much context necessary to have that conversation legitimately that one episode idea started to become a small textbook worth of ideas. We started reading more and more books and journals and talking to other folks. And it, it became such a big question that it evolved into its own meta idea that we couldn't reasonably encapsulate in the Rolling Bones banner. Because we would spend like a year making just content about that. What happens to all the other topics you wanted to say? And then it occurred to us that we were balancing so many different ideas and disciplines and looking at the history of this, that, and the other thing that that became its own format. Hence this new idea. The idea would be by exploring the healthcare system, um, both at a history level, at its implementation, just looking at it from as many filters as we can. I like the fact that I can use my hands on camera now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
for those my, of my, you who my are North Jersey is coming out. Dante yeah. is he definitely he, he paints pictures with his hands with hands motions and he's an artist also as well, but he uses his hands to illustrate quite extensively. Just start doing many, like Naruto style jutsu signs and things. Yes, but yes. Th- th- the idea was um, if we were to do the idea justice of exploring osteopathic medicine, perhaps the first thing we need to do is explore medicine as such. And that essentially became the seed for this bigger idea, which is what we're bringing to you guys now. It's I'd like to use this new show, this new format. And you can tell this is on, this is going to be on Rolling Bones, but it's going to be in the new show as we develop the idea to to explore the landscape of medicine of healthcare make 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 it make sense like like uh, dr james said something to the effect of the word healthcare in itself just doesn't fit but that's something that's very meaningful to you and i but why does that make sense right why 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 is our healthcare system not actually about healthcare and why are we saying that in a non-conspiratorial sense right like are we just right. saying that to sound really cool on YouTube so we can get some views or is there something to it that's that's sincere and earned as a statement but it's on us to earn those words now right absolutely so, and and when when we, we say that healthcare isn't adequate it's not to say that we don't participate in that aspect of providing care because we are doctors, we are physicians, we are healers. And keeping in mind that the term doctor does not in itself implicate simple healer. It is a, a teacher, a purveyor of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, healing comes as part of our profession. But uh, our profession also has its limitations. And so recognizing what those are can help us move from our current system to a better system, hopefully in the future. But that's 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 a, a future discussion to be had. Let's start out by talking about our medical history. What's a doctor? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and the doctor is a, a Latin term originally for yeah. a, a teacher. Hence, As you said. Someone going to get a doctorate in music is a teacher studied in music. A, a PhD is a philosophy degree, a doctorate in philosophy, so that you can use that to teach philosophy or learn philosophy. A Juris Doctorate, of course, going into law and so on and so forth. Uh, and so we fit in with that professional degree uh, as uh, both a doctor, a teacher, and a healer. And what does it mean to be a healer in our society? And are there other healers in our society? And and uh, wholeheartedly say, yes, there are other healers, even if they are not traditional practicing doctors, practicing medicine, as it were. I, w- I would think that our our colleagues in the naturopathic setting believe they're healers and uh, chiropractors as well and 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 others and others um physical therapists and and the like all with their special training that allow them to uh, apply healing arts and healing sciences in their own ways i'd venture that the strength coaches uh, kind of fall in that category especially with how their field has evolved saying this as somebody who affiliates on on both disciplines 
Yes. Which only makes yeah. the word more confusing because all of a sudden it's like, wait, so is everybody a healer? Like, what strength are coaches here? are healing weakness by building strength. They are also healing uh, uh, psychological weaknesses in, in many ways because the, the strengthening of the body has such a positive psychological effect for so many people. So, uh, That's a healer, idea. Yes, it does. Yes, it is. And that idea that you can be a healer without being a physician or a doctor is an, an interesting discussion to be had as well. But where did we come from? And that's, that's, of course, one of the ultimate existential questions for humanity in general. Where did we come from? But as a modern medical system, where did we come from? What are our roots? I, I don't think it is as clear-cut as some folks who write medical histories would like to make it sound, but... Um, let's, let's go into talking a bit about the, the more recent history, you know, in the last, I'd say two, 200 years, 250 years in the fact uh, that you're calling that recent implies the bounds of this conversation. Yes. Well, we, we could go back a few thousand years, but we'll leave that, we'll leave that well enough alone for the most part. Now that I mean, at some point said, we're probably going to bring up Galen and Herodotus just to mess with people. So we, we and can, Hippocrates we can dust off the right? old squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel. Oh, man. We have plenty of those to come to come by. So the American healthcare, uh, here we go. The medical system, should we call it just the medical system versus the healthcare system? So, yeah, I was going to say, for the sake of this discussion, we'll have to, let's set some rules of engagement. Yes. We're going to have to earn back the word healthcare. Okay, um, fair enough. Because, yeah, let's play, let's play the game this way. Knowing that we're critiquing the system as such, right? One of the things we're trying to do in this in this particular discussion is map out how we got our current healthcare system, obviously questioning the healthcare system. For the sake of this discussion, let's just refer to it as the medical system, right? Because obviously you and I have an end goal here of explaining why it's actually sick care, but let's, mm -hmm. let's do the idea service and walk our listeners to that idea versus just stuttering every time we say the word healthcare, because... You know, I, I say healthcare, and a little part of me dies on the inside. But, <laughs> it it truly know, there, does. There's a re right. There's a reason. But let's let, let's earn it. Let's start with the medical system. All right. So how does? Let's go back in 200 years. How how did medicine as a entity, as an industry, as a field, get to this point in the Americas? Let, let's let's keep it roughly Western Europe, America centric, just for the sake of giving some bounds. Because if we start looping in the other other um, countries, this conversation gets really, really, really big, really fast. And very so, much more complicated and beyond the bounds. So let's say, that. how did we get to this point in the West, in the practice of medicine and its evolution into a, into a profession? Maybe that's the way we'll play this game. And ultimately, it evolved into a medical industrial complex, very... Very much, I hate to say it, but like the military industrial complex that seems to exert a significant amount of influence. So, well, we, capitalism we matters. It, it yeah, does. Yeah, like we'll, 
We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, and originally, the uh, the medical system was really separate. You had the rural side, and you had the the urban side. The urban side dominated by physicians, quote unquote physicians, who many have had many of whom had been trained in Europe, especially in Germany. Early on in uh, American history, there were no medical schools per se. And so you had to go get training in Europe and come back. But the rural communities, you know, you come out to the Appalachians and then West couldn't afford to send physicians for training. Or if uh, if anyone wanted to be a physician, they, 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 they couldn't travel very far per se. And so you had an apprentice type uh, setting as well. Uh, somewhat similar to the idea of now where we're, we're trying to train locally physicians in local medical schools and then keep them in residency locally. And hopefully they stay in their communities. But the issue we face today with rural medicine was very similar to what was faced several hundred years ago. And there were not enough well-trained healers to go around. And that's... Yes. <laughs> Which that's... led to a whole bunch of... I mean, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking of both current and past versions of that. Uh, for context, a lot of my knowledge of this history is going to be directly out of um, a book by uh, uh, called The Social Transformation of uh, Medicine in the, in the United States. And he maps that scenario where basically... In the rural communities, you had this double problem of there weren't enough people, let alone uh, physicians in the community to warrant a practice. And if you spent all the money necessary to become a trained physician, you wanted to make that money back. So why the heck would you go to the rural areas where you couldn't make a buck? Um, and it, now, was to be fair, similar, were, it was a similar situation faced by lawyers. You know, there were not right. enough lawyers to go around. And so they, and there were not enough judges to go around. So what would happen was lawyers and judges would travel in groups to go from community to community to provide legal services on an infrequent basis. I actually didn't know about that. I, I know about the doctor and the buggy, but I didn't realize that that was for the lawyers as well. It was a similar type of uh, professional setting. And so physicians actually, were, go ahead. Let's, let's, let's build that out actually. So it's worth noting that in the United States, in so let's 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 fix a timeline. We're talking about late nineteenth century for those who are mm-hmm. bad at history. That means the later half of the eighteen hundreds, because that's how we count our centuries, right? So, like, let's talk eighteen fifty to like nineteen hundred. Basically, Civil War plus or minus twenty five years is the timeline we're talking about, right? Um, in the coasts or coast singular, because at this point there's only one coast, the East Coast, the the physician culture was, as you said, very Germanic, very European. Uh, Fr- it was Franco-Germanic, right? Like it was like, go to Germany, go to France, get your training, come back. Yes, um, that was, they were the, both the medical centers and the science research centers of the world, of the Western right. world, uh, the world as we would have known it. And then as you get closer to the Appalachian, it gets, the vibe changes because the type of problem changes, right? Like, you mm-hmm. go from a highly specialized urban industrial environment to more um, independent, non-specialized labor, non-specialized um, lifestyles. Role. Right. The physician is like a role you play, not the job you you hold. 
And what ended up happening was a lot of the healers of that region had to figure out how to handle frontier level problems, right? Like without the access to all the lab, the tech, the resources, the academia of the high tower areas. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, you had to kind of jerry rig some solutions. Um, you got your pressure. answers from the internet at the time, and the internet was your aunt Ruth down the street or down the the dirt road. Aunt and Google, uh, I guess. Aunt Google, Aunt Ruth. But give me some of your. But tincture. it mattered it because did. what happened was, in the absence of that profession, the uh, the lay healers is what they refer to the non regulars, the the non physician healers. A lot of the work we did um, at as a field was really just implementing and systematizing what the essentially what the communal aspects of healing were herbal things, hydrotherapy things, chicken gizzards. Yeah. I mean like there's a lot of stuff that didn't work just to be clear, (laughs) but we were, we were basically using folk remedies. (laughs) Yeah. But a lot of this work was domestic. A lot of this work was Mm -hmm. non-professional, which is a big deal. Um, It was actually kind of cool because that that's part of why we use the word doctor in the United States. Like I found out that, outside of this country we are called physicians and to be care you and i share the rank and title of physician right explicitly but our patients in the general conversation were referred to as doctors right that's a extremely american phenomenon and i found out why which i was really happy to learn like how did how did we stop being physicians in the level of our language um basically what ended up happening was because the lay, uh, the lay healers with some medical training wanted to get away from the high-towered impression of like the European vibe, they actually adopted a new term. Like they refer to themselves as the doctors, so that they can blur the lines between being a physician, a surgeon, an apothecary, which is the old-school version of a pharmacist. Um, classically speaking, physicians were a very limited entity. And it took me like forever to understand this because the languages have transformed so much. I didn't know until doing a lot of the reading for this recording that physicians historically must not touch their patient. Which I thought that was weird. It is completely foreign to us as osteopathic physicians. That is what we do. One that makes us major... a contradiction. <laughs> We are a paradox of the level of our title, (laughs) but our title is an oxymoron. Yeah, but it's a big deal because so classically, so surgeons were considered unskilled labor, believe it or not, like a barber, the person who cuts your hair, pulls your teeth, takes out your gallbladder. That was all one job that was called a surgeon. Um, And they knew anatomy, but they were considered laborers with their hands. They were considered lower class. Well, the if you see a barbershop pole, that represents the blood that was draining off of their tools, off off of their yeah. uh, trays. And uh, so every time you see that barbershop pole, think a surgeon and blood. I'm just so saying. So it's not a candy cane. It's not a candy cane. It's not a candy cane. It's blood. It's blood. But the apothecary was similar, right? The apothecary, mm-hmm. their job was to make drugs, to make medications. They were druggists. Um, they were the original the com- compounding pharmacists. Exactly. In fact, honestly, if I got to double check my citations on this one, but my understanding is the OG version of pharmacy was the compound pharmacy. And this current mass produced version is the newer entity. Classical pharmacy was basically living in the compounding 
it was the compounding life, which to be fair, if you look at the Europe at the I think the British School for Pharmacy, their mm-hmm. symbol is still a mortar and pestle because of that that image, that sacred image of the mortar and pestle as the mode of their practice. Kind of like how we fact, have a black I think, I think Walgreens still uses that uh, iconography as well. I mean, it's theirs. But the <laughs> physician and this is the part I, I I just had to I couldn't wrap my head around it. I'm still having trouble with it. So if you can help me out, please do. The physician's job was to interview and evaluate to come to a diagnosis and prescribe a physic to heal the patient. And I was like, what the heck is a physic? And it took me a lot of digging into the language. Like I had to look at this in like vaguely French kind of like Latin to, to make sense of it. A physician would prescribe a physic and a physic was a classical term for a purgative. And I was like, that makes, wait, was that I, really all we were? <laughs> Truth be told, again, even old definition. Day, there, yeah. there are many things that we, we don't, uh, I hate to say this, but there are very few things we absolutely cure. I antibiotics, agree. Antibiotics are a major exception to that rule, but most of what we prescribe and, and most therapies that we use hold things at bay, send things into remission, uh, keep things under control per se. I mean, I think about the blood pressure medications. Yeah. If you stop a blood pressure medication, if you've not done the dietary and exercise uh, inter- interventions that will help re- resolve that, then the blood pressure is referred to as management comes back. So it, it is truly management rather than curative. But uh, now, obviously, surgeons do some curative things. You can you can cure cure a, a broken bone or or an injury or or some of those uh, traumatic things. But um, then all of that taken into perspective, then physician is an appropriate title for us even to this day. Right, but in the in the in the American frontier in the United States, we try to get away from that term. Because, in all seriousness, there are physicians, our physicians, historically also function as surgeons. They also function as the apothecary. Mm-hmm. They also happen to be farmhands. Most of them were pastors. Like, the, the lines got so blurry that the physician essentially became the generic term for the learned man of the West. And at some point, that, that title of physician didn't fit anymore. So we, in this country, began to refer to ourselves as doctors because we were the professory people in the cowboy land. We were the Gandalfs of the West. None Basically, shall pass. Yes, we were essentially trying to be Midwest cowboy wizards. <laughs> now that sounds like a country western band. It's a Gandalf with a six shooter. <laughs> that We need to hire somebody to draw that. Oh, that would be amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Yi his way with with the with Frodo Baggins. It's gonna be dope. But <laughs> as ridiculous as this segue sounds, this matters because hey, by the way, once upon a time, physicians as a field, and this is kind of in our psyche, right? Um, you talk about the founder effect for different fields. Like, no matter how much of discipline evolves, its inception matters as far as what it becomes. Like, we can only escape the term so much before becoming a different thing. And physicians, at a fundamental level, at the level of our language, were those who prescribe purgatives, those who manage, those who heroically, and I mean that at a technical level, try to combat disease, but 
it was never quite in our skill set to remedy, to palliate, to heal. That that wasn't part of the word. That wasn't part of our focus. It was a big deal actually because there was this whole thing about like whether physicians are even appropriate to take care of women, because there's this idea that like if your physician is healing women, is he examining her? If he's examining her, is he touching her? This is weird now. And obviously the hang up isn't appropriate nowadays. Like we will treat men and women, but there's this idea that the physician must not not touch his patient or her patient, really his patient, because it was almost all men in this timeline because right. of that implied contact. And I'm like, there are a lot of hangups on this man. And then I looked into it further and our entire physician culture is rooted on the Victorian version of what a physician is. And they were afraid to look at anything. So like they would have to like, the reason we invented stethoscopes was because we were too afraid to examine a chest. <laughs> I and if you look at the first the first styles of stethoscope, they kept you as far away from the chest as you possibly could to try right. to still hear that heart. It's it's an interesting interesting design, and uh, that makes sense within that Victorian context, especially since it was Victorian Europe that heavily influenced the training of the initial uh, American physicians. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. Essentially, all just Jane Austening our way across the across the frontier, man. <laughs> well, you know, there was some sense and sensibility in how we approach things. Yes, I that was there. slick. I, went I, I, I won't even critique that one. That was dope. <laughs> but all this to say, as you get into the West, we tried as a field to get away from all that Victorian uh, vibe, and the vibe for our healing became markedly more honestly capitalist because that was kind of the vibe this is in the middle of the industrial revolution right. it also became a lot more cowboy like frontier vibe hence why we incorporated so many other things like the physician of the of the frontier had to be at all times a pastor a healer an apothecary a bone setter now we're getting to our words right had to be everything and what's interesting about that is they held such high regard that they were the they were one of the few groups of people that bandits would leave alone. As soon as a bandit found out you were the physician, the local physician, they let you go. They don't want to kill. They might need you later. Yeah, they don't want to kill the physician who's going to come and fix them the next time they get shot, or right. they get bit by something or get injured. So they let the they let the uh, physicians uh, go generally unscathed compared to the general population. Yeah, which is interesting because. In the general population, so it's it, it, there's a weird dichotomy in this presentation of us. It's we present ourselves, and I mean this we in the sense of the historical eighteenth, nineteenth uh, century mm -hmm. uh, royal we. You know what I mean? There is this idea of the physician, of the doctor, as this learned man who can heal via purgative. Um, but in the lay public, there's also this impression of you better not call that physician <laughs> right. because we true. were considered kind of dangerous. Like, That's because we kind of were. I mean, if, we were if bad you, for your health. You have a fever. You call the doc in. What's the doc going to do? He's going to bleed you. Now you might die. And he's he's not going to. Some will put leeches on, and leeches do have a clinical application. Uh, just FYI, but they would just lance you. Or there were um, auto. Or there were transfusions. You know, you you read. Um, the uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and he talks about a transfusion from one person to another. Well, that was not just fiction. They were doing stuff like that. And, Which is cool. Uh, 
is cool in a in, in a, a Frankenstein kind of way, sort sort of way. It's so cool that it got put into one of the first horror stories. Um, yes, yes, yes. But now that you mention it, involving a doctor in a horror story made sense because it we could were be kind of frightening, kind of scary what they would do um, in the early surgeries uh, without uh, anesthesia or uh, without. Um, antiseptics for that matter and boy it was uh it was fortunate that people would come out alive from, from some of these procedures um there are, Since you mentioned are it, we were also the morticians oh yes well it, it yeah. makes sense we tried to keep yeah, you alive and when you died we made sure that you were paired that way we got to get that copay <laughs> <laughs> do we have a prior authorization for this <laughs> for this embalming <laughs> For those who aren't unfamiliar with the language, a copay is the amount of money you as the insured patient owe after all the insurance shenanigans happen. We'll save that whole... At some point, we're actually going to try to explain, God help us, the insurance phenomena for this country. That's going to be a whole other conversation in this series. Just letting you know, that's going to be a thing. God help us. But the reason... We're mapping all this to give you guys the impression of this physician who presents himself as this learned man to the public, and then to the public, he's essentially a Lovecraftian nightmare made flesh. <laughs> oh, that's a very accurate description. You never know. Yes. You never knew what you were going to get. And then like, on give top me of that, you smart had glasses, big old black gloves, and a bone saw. Just let's go. And I'm like, well, and that play that, doctor masks. That, Plague doctor. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, what's interesting about all of this is at the same time in, in almost a parallel universe, you had native Americans doing their own thing and they had some pretty successful treatments, but because of the social stigma, uh, the, the prejudice is a, is a better word that the general population had towards the native population. Um, that was not that was not considered good medicine to uh, use uh, those uh, treatments unless you could convince someone it was your treatment and not theirs. Um, Which is ironic because they refer like the the healers of those communities were referred to in our language as medicine men, right? That's a good. You point. can see the weird, yeah. There, there's um tapping into the Jungian aspects of me. There's a real like shadow issue with our perception of the West, like. It is both the the bountiful, beautiful thing to explore and conquer. It's also the land of literally the devil in the conception of a lot of these in this time. So it's kind of like it's the it's it's God's land, but it's also plagued by demons. And I'm like, you guys got to work out your shit. Yeah, like, you know, a, at, a therapist. One, at one point, the West was uh, was advertised as the location of the Garden of Eden. And so come right. West so you can come join us in the Garden of Eden. Then you come west and you After find you out. After you drive out the savages. You drive out the savages and make it through the desert and the, the mud of the Midwest and all of the uh, the, the hordes of buffalo and uh, the Native <laughs> American tribes. And whew, yeah, Garden of we Eden. We did good, right? We, 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 <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. But oh, that, that um, trailblazing frontiersman... Uh, philosophy pervaded frontier medicine like it pervaded everything else. Um, right. That was the American persona in a very real sense. We are the 
we are a nation at the frontier up until the was it Teddy Roosevelt who closed the frontier who declared the frontier like over was that him or was that he he was the one that uh, started uh, the conservation movement uh, setting aside lands for national parks doing those kinds of things and essentially shutting down the frontier. And by that time, we had both coasts. We had railroads clearly connecting both coasts. Um, There were fewer need, there there were fewer highwaymen and and the Native Americans uh, populations had largely been confined to reservations. So by that turn of the century, there was far less frontier-ishness in the traditional sense. There were still areas of the Wild West, but it was not nearly so wild. I wouldn't say it was tamed, but society was beginning to change. There was less of an impetus to stay in smaller agrarian communities. There was more of a drive and not truly, I wouldn't even say it's a drive to go to urban centers. It was a draw as the industrial revolution progressed and uh, industries became more established at certain uh, civilian or not civilian, but uh, centers of population. It was almost like a, a gravity where uh, as cities grew, their gravity grew with them, you know, with greater mass comes greater gravity. It was the same kind of thing with the industrial revolution and drawing people away from the land, away from the frontier, back into urban centers. And this serves as a segue in our conversation because it was this very development of urban centers that would see a, a significant change in medicine. And and before we get there, we do need to talk a little bit about the Civil War because there were a number of very important advancements in medicine due to, um, well, and boy, we even need to go before the Civil War because the Napoleonic Wars also led to some uh, significant advancements like ambulances and whatnot, but we don't have to spend we much time there. We might do the there. tech aspect. Yeah, I was going to say, like, let, let's... I think our rules of engagement were keep it in the 1850s to 1900s just for the sake of our sanity. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep yeah. Napoleon out of it. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. we'll we'll, we'll bring war. him we'll bring him in next time. Civil War and you've you've heard us talk about the Civil War in the past because it was during that era that uh, Dr. Still began to formulate his approach to providing medical care that eventually became osteopathy in 1874. Um, but there were some significant advances and, and we're not, we're not going to go into the, the nitty gritty details about the science behind how surgery was improved and how, uh, uh, hand, uh, cleanliness and, uh, hygiene made a big difference, but the civil war was a, a, a time where society had to come together as well for their for their benefit and society was never truly the same after that civil war and medicine was never truly the same after that war either lay that out for me actually so like a lot of my reading was focused on the the post war era i i i'm aware of the tech contributions right uh that's led it from the civil war but i don't i don't actually know what the 
what the field, uh, I guess, broad impacts of the, that war was to our to our practice. Can you help me with that? Yeah. So we had some scientific advances that all of a sudden made doctors more effective, right? Uh, you had uh, surgical advances in anesthesia and uh, sanitation. You had hygiene, uh, uh, and you also had uh, developments within the military for food production—not food production per se, but the uh, develop the ability to distribute food. And on top of that, you had the the growth of the railroad that allowed for further transportation and less isolation. And so you, you had the introduction of new scientific knowledge that benefited medicine. And that scientific, that scientific knowledge began to change the way doctors interacted with their treatments, right? They, they were now looking for more evidence for the effectiveness of, of treatments. And they were starting to use those, um, and I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here. They were, they were starting to um, be more evidence-based. And I hate to use the, well, I don't hate to use the term. Evidence-based is- the, wor the word means something now that it doesn't mean in this conversation. It is meaningful. Yeah. There was, um, uh, near those time, there was, as you mentioned before, the development of some new devices, like the stethoscope. We had the microscope to be able to start visualize very small structures like bacteria. And that led to the, dis the, the discovery of little organisms that may be causing problems. You know, the germ theory for years was hotly debated and it wasn't until oh, we were okay, able to okay. start. Now I see what you're getting at. Yeah, we, we were, it wasn't until we were able to start visualizing things and understanding the scientific mechanisms or the biological mechanisms by how they worked for it wasn't until then that we started seeing some improvement in therapeutics. It wasn't just purgatives anymore and it wasn't just opium for the pain. And so that, that change led to a different way of providing medicine. And as society became more urbanized, it meant uh, there was going to be a change in relationships with healers. So it was no longer going to the itinerant healer that was in town once a month uh, and hope that he had some leeches or some lances. But now people were settling down. Who are you going to go? You're going to go to your local doctor who's going to give you something. And eventually some medications started being developed that would actually do good rather than bad. And slowly that changed. You also had medical associations that developed their ability to advertise and politicize and um, uh, become more public in nature. So uh, it, this all started around the Civil War. It's, it's amazing what war does to societies in both very positive and very negative ways. And hopefully we take some positive away from, uh, from the hundreds of thousands of deaths that happened during that, that, uh, that horrific time. But it was also very beneficial to physicians. We were no longer the nut jobs that came at you with leeches. I was going to say, there's, um, 
I wasn't sure where you're going with that for a minute. I'm like, this is going to, I think this will win the award for the day for this, for the sentence most likely to piss off a viewer. But I got you there. The, um, but yeah, that makes sense. The, the pressure from the Civil War forced a ton of adaptation. And those adaptations did a couple of things. It institutionalized us. It forced us to become more of an industry, more of a union in all seriousness. Yes. We didn't call ourselves a union. And really, it's not. It became... The, the words didn't exist in this format back then, so I'm just going to be a little bit awkward to explain it. But the, the concept of collective bargaining, um, whether it's a union or not, started to really settle in for physicians via the AMA, which is its own separate discussion because, say, the AMA is the American Medical Association. By the right. Way. It's like the main organization for, uh, I guess, connecting and lobbying and supporting uh, physicians. The reason that matters is because a lot of the political maneuvers, a lot of the changes in legislation, etc. Um, a lot of the power physicians have in this country is a direct effect of the work of the AMA. So like, for what it's worth, I don't like the AMA in its current state. I'm pretty open about that. I don't pay my dues, you know what I mean? And I'm not a member of it. However, I got to give credit where it's due. They, they created the landscape that is currently us for better and for worse. Like the good things that the physicians can do in this country, I will give credit to the AMA. And all the issues in the system that physicians have caused in this country, I will also point <laughs> squarely at the AMA. You know what I mean? It's they are they are the give, reason why physicians get paid as much as physicians get paid in this country. They are a powerful, powerful lobby. They they are. Um, but putting all this together, what ends up happening is as we get out of the frontier phase, as the pressure of war and modernization kicks in physicians start to develop treatments that can actually do something. And very appropriately, you're going to start building your field around the things you can actually do. You know what I mean? And let's connect this idea of the physician as the purgative to heal from some sort of illness with the idea that we're starting to develop new therapeutics treatments to actually do something. We start getting pretty good at diagnosing and treating problems, whether or not those problems are actually legitimate. But Let's go back to the original question. Notice how this entire discussion, as we're talking about the physician who prescribes a physic to purge, to cure an illness, none of this is about health in the broader sense. And that's not a critique of us, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that like a shame on you gotcha. It's that wasn't the mission, man. It never was. Like, right. The mission was there's a bug in you, kill it. Or in the context before we knew it was bug, there was bad miasma. There was bad air. Exercise it. I don't know. <laughs> get, get Whatever you do to my asthma. Well, but, and, and the the idea of wellness, although it it's ancient, it wasn't part of a majority of the American psyche, right? You know, right. We, wellness. What's that? You know, I'm I'm going to conquer the frontier. I don't need to be well. I need to I need to be strong, but I don't need to be well. I don't I don't care about that. Or I'm thinking about the Z Dog MD punchline, like uh, for those who don't know, Z Dog MD is a physician comedian. He's pretty dope. But shout out Z Dog stuff. There you go. But um, th- there's a skit he does with, where he wears a Darth Vader mask, and Darth Vader, he, like just stuff happens in the hospital and blah blah blah, and then he just puts on in his best Vader impersonation, like, "But did you die?" And I'm like, <laughs> that that sums die. up our feel. <laughs> It's like, I am named, I have no limbs, I owe you 200 grand, but did you die? (laughs) (laughs) 
that is so uh, appropriate for the discussion. American too. medicine. That's now. That's not to say that there weren't some folks that were um, uh, interested in wellness. As a matter of fact, Doctor Still was one of a number of folks that uh, built what were called sanitariums at the time. And they were not for the insane. They they were uh, places where people would go to recover their wellness, to to um, get rest and, and to recover. That They would go to have specialized diets and specialized exercise uh, practices. They, they were not psychiatric facilities at the time. But it was uh, also considered a different thing. It like, was. Um, Going back to that AMA, see, it's all layering in now. Like we're, we're laying out all these ideas, or they're starting to they're starting to interact together. The American Medical Association was trying to draw very clean lines of what a physician does and does not do. And outside of surgery and the prescri- prescription of medications, there was this idea that there's a spectrum of things that are not a physician's work, and those things fell under that banner, right? Like um. There was this idea that if we can call, speaking from the perspective of the AMA, if we can call it practicing medicine, we can build for it and we can lobby for the rights to do it exclusively. But there are certain things they just couldn't capture. And to be fair, there are certain things that they just weren't interested in. Like uh, we, you and I used to joke about the hydrotherapists, right? Yeah. And it's like they died out. Like once upon a time, there was a field of medicine, medicine healing. That main theory thesis was if you took a damn bath every now and again, you might get good. And lo and behold, it worked. But you can't bill for a bath. No. And once the infrastructure of urbanization came into play, once public health knowledge came into play, where we were uh, building plumbing and piping water through water treatment facilities to clean it to prevent things like dysentery and cholera, people were doing hydrotherapy on themselves every day because they had a bathtub all of a sudden and they and they had running water and they they had hot water they didn't have just cold water and so that profession i wouldn't say it died out it just melded into society and so now right. you it have became public health kohler and moen providing uh, water through their spigots and hydrotherapy so every time you take right. a shower you are doing hydrotherapy. Thank you. Right. And the AMA could not claim that as practicing medicine because God dang, could you imagine if that was considered medical, a uh, medical intervention? Oh, <laughs> uh, I would love that prescription once daily in the bath <laughs> with bubbles. Can you imagine like what the claims would be like if every time you turned on the faucet, it was kind of like practicing medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had a bad bath, could you, would that be malpractice? The you water, see what I'm saying? The water so like the AMA did not claim these things. <laughs> I'm going to sue for um, cold pre- water. <laughs> Bat Prescani scores, man. But Bat was two that, that, stars out of five. Yeah. But the, the idea was there was this idea of wellness in the way that we currently use it. But that was, that was the turf of the quote unquote, the lay healers. So like, whereas the, the regulars, the physicians who actually held on to that title, Whereas they would be those diagnosing and prescribing purgatives and after adopting surgery, performing surgeries, the work outside of diagnosing, prescribing medication as that word evolved and performing surgery, the other stuff got relegated to the non-regular work, which as we see the discipline evolve became what we currently refer to as alternative medicine. 
for better or for worse. Like you look at what alternative medicine is in this country, and they're essentially the descendants of the lay healers uh, from a from a discipline perspective. And, and, to, and to some a lot extent, of the work, yeah. I don't even I don't even like the term alternative medicine because they're not they're not physics. They're not providing physics per se. They're not providing medicines. They're providing their own medical treatments. So, right. It's neither here like, nor you know, there. But branding matters. <laughs> branding does matter. Medicine means yeah. physician, which means healing and alternative yeah. medicine. Have any means- guys ever read 1984? This might work well as a live stream with it. But remember <laughs> that whole night? Like, if you control the language, you control the people. Yes. Oh, yes. So, yes, 100%. Yeah, but that matters for this conversation, man, because it, it does. if you call something alternative medicine, that implies it's the second option. And it implies that it's inferior and that maybe right, you right. shouldn't consider it. Right. But it really was just the things that weren't prescribing a literal physic or cutting something out. All of that was relegated to the turf that became alternative for better or for worse. Like at a purely technical level, exercise is alternative medicine in the old definition. But And, and truth be ex- told, as yeah. osteopathic physicians... We have both alternative medicine and I, I guess we'd just call it Western medicine if it's not alternative. So if for the sake of language, I'm, I'm using the terminology of, let me be clear with my citation. Take me just a moment because it's really, it's really good to know how I'm using these terms, how we're using these terms. Because it's it's really easy to go. Are are we interpreting these terms? Are we using it where to come from? So the author right. is Paul Starr. That's the author for the Social Transformation of American Medicine. Mm-hmm. Paul Starr. He's the historian who documented this history, and he's my primary resource for a lot of this conversation. The term he used for what you're referring to as the West was the regulars, and he's using that oh, term that's because right. that's what. Okay. Yeah, that was that was the term that the AMA leadership at the time used to refer to themselves, like. We are the regulars versus the Thompsonians, the osteopaths, the chiropractors, the whatever. But the, the term one, they had for themselves. People. Right. But look at the look at even the terminology, the MDs, because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. The MDs practicing the, the standard doctors. format. Right. Would call themselves the regulars. And mm-hmm. anything that was outside of that was considered the lay healing thing or the um the they were actually they had, they had a different word for it, which is a de- very different word in the in now in 2023 they referred to the non-regulars as sectarians ah so instead of calling in, the irregulars who are the sectarians yeah yeah so like the osteopaths the chiropractors the hydropaths the mesmers the blah 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 the bone setters all of that was collectively referred to as the sectarians as I in know. the way we use sec- yeah you know what the, everyone knows yeah, what that word yeah. means nowadays like sect by sect violence um we were also known was, as it's the drugless physicians or the drugless uh, healers as well. I mean, that's specific to the osteopathic uh, aspect. There was a branch of sectarian medicine called the Thompsonians that did everything that the MD traditional regulars would do, except prescribe medicine. In the traditional word, they used herbology. herbology. So they were herbology surgeons put together. Huh. They okay. were really cool. They yeah. died out, but they were referred to as sectarians. And it was really, really interesting because, and this gets really dark really fast, there were actual physical conflicts between these branches. So there was actually wow. medically uh, 
regarding medical turf and practice rights, there was sectarian violence between the different camps of healing in this country. And I read that and I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> some random Yahoo brought a cannon to the front door of some random med school and blew the door down. Oh, wow. I forgot oh. the details. I got to find that. We'll save it for a different episode. But b- between med schools, some some guy legit brought a cannon and blew down the doors of, an, of a rival school, like something out of a bad anime or something. I'm like, wow. what are you talking about? Wow. As in, we had sectarian violence. Medical um, sectarian go us. violence. Oh. <laughs> So it's nothing, yes, new. We were, it's nothing new. Yeah. But all that to say, if you weren't one of the regulars, you were the sectarians. But look at the power of that word. If you weren't one of the standard people, you were mm-hmm. part of a sect, a.k.a. you were part of a cult. There's implications in the verbiage. Definitely. And that power controlled the demographic. Okay. That, yeah, that, yeah. That negative connotation was one of the tools that that was being used then to... Uh, drive public perception. And as we know, public perception is everything. Perception. 1984. Is reality. Um, there you go. And what, what the people will say. You know. <laughs> uh, what is two plus two equal? Oh, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> no, we can't say it. It's five. Two plus two is five. Five. And for those who don't know that reference, read a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even know if that counts as a spoiler anymore, man. It's from 1984. Uh, it was not published in 1984. Just the book is called 1984. For uh, it's, it's been a long anyway, time. Anyway, I read that. <laughs> all that all that to say, this mattered a lot because the the consolidation of power, because that's really what that is, of medicine, really put us in a position where the 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 end of this 1800s to early 1900s story essentially led to the beginning of the current version of, of medical practice, where you have the MDs as primarily those who prescribe medicine and perform surgery after performing a physical exam for the sake of fixing a disease. That mode of thought, that mode of thinking became institutionalized and became considered the standard, right? The word became synonymous with the practice right. in this timeline. Before that, if you said you were a doctor or, or a physician, Nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. You might be a bone setter for all we know. You might be a mesmerizer. Mesmerizing was actually a different term back then. Um, it had if you mesmerized people, me. right, you, you basically did myofascial release, which is a kind of massage and played with magnets. Good for you. You know, you know what I mean? like, And sometimes in the water. Sometimes in the water. True that. <laughs> These are actual branches of medicine once upon a time. To, to be fair, a lot of different things, things evolved and stuff. But if you weren't doing the standard thing, you were no longer considered a physician at the level of the language. The only branches that survived technically were the homeopaths and the osteopaths. And then what ended up happening was the homeopaths kind of lived in that alternative space happily, like they carved out their own niche. And the osteopaths kind of became this other entity, which now gives us this current situation where we have this parallel path of medical training in the United States, where you have the standard issue MDs, and then you have this other weird entity that is the DOs that are the remnant of the sectarian past, right? And you had the chiropractors running in parallel as well, and they were doing their best to just stay in business and, and stay together. I was going to say, I didn't include them because they actively bowed out of this entire quote unquote medical battle. This is like, true. They, they did yeah. provide treatments. But uh, they they did not they did not uh, 
try to make themselves into physicians as the term was used then and now although and good for them for that yeah because what ended up happening is let's look at the intersection between the mds the do's the chiros and the wellness industry because that that started to become a thing the mds live in that european uh diagnose and treat space Mm -hmm. right so on, on one end, you have, I take care of the sick and ill, right? I cut out what's killing you. I give you medicines for what's killing you. And then I, on the other end, you have I, yoga. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally yoga, like mm-hmm. Ayurvedic medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole term we're going to have to explore one day. But in the in-between spaces, you have the DOs who live on that spectrum closer to the medical side in the current usage of the term. You have the kairos who live in this body manipulation they don't practice medicine but they look a lot like us and they do very similar things but they live closer to the health and fitness industry then you have the actual fitness and wellness people the strength coaches the athletes the trainers the yogis the movement instructors and they all lay claim to this idea of health right because think about the health and fitness industry yes versus the healthcare industry but the health and wellness industry does not belong to the healthcare industry, but they both claim the word health. And that's confusing. The overlap definitely blurs the, the lines the scope of the care that's being provided. What's interesting to me also is from an osteopathic historical perspective, you, you could get the idea that osteopaths are very, um, uh, Eastern in their style versus the Western style of medicine with, with, uh, the way they approach, uh, uh, the, the patient. But in reality, in reality, much of the osteopathic philosophy came from European philosophers with a, a healthy dose of exposure to native American populations and their approaches as well. So uh, it, are we agreeing to break out of our 200 year timeline now? Yes. Yeah. I, well, let's do it. Let, let's, let's go. <laughs> All let's right. Go. Once upon a time, the Greeks. <laughs> when we break out. We really break out. <laughs> yeah, the year was 400 BC. <laughs> no, no um, joking aside, the year was 400. B- no, I, I don't know the year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that matters because let's escape the Germanic french discipline of of practicing physicians mm-hmm. and get into the more ancient tradition of healing in the west there was a culture of healing there was a culture of wellness under different terms and they were all work of the healer as such but to look at that in its cleanest form for the sake of this discussion it would be really nice to actually talk about the greco-roman uh, contribution to this conversation uh, galen and, and aristotle and socrates and all them did some really dope stuff in regards to wellness um, there's a reason why all the statues um, in like Greco-Roman architecture are jacked. Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast, is brought to you by Drs. James Aston and Dante Paredes. We'd like to note that medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner. This podcast represents the Roland Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and OMT, and will be as evidence-based as possible. 
Now, comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors are welcome, but no money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agreed not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including, but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the hosts, guests, and contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Paredes, or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Please visit us on Twitter at Rollin' Bones Pod or send us messages at rollinbonespod at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs>